0: Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah.
1: And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between.
0: Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Dear Writer. Today, we are recording episode 150, and it is another one of our author spotlight interviews. And today we have Jennifer Seffrey on our show. So welcome, Jennifer.
2: Hi, Jennifer. Hi, thanks for having me. I really like that I'm on podcast 150. It feels like a really good number.
1: <laughs> really good number, Auspicious yeah. perhaps. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Jennifer Seffrey is a romance author based in Massachusetts. Before her life as an author, Jennifer was a copy editor at the Boston Herald. While she reflects positively on the experience, she needed a way to decompress from hearing about many real-life tragic stories and turn to reading. After her workday had ended, she would often be found reading romance fiction until the er- early hours of the morning. Eventually, Jennifer began writing romance, hoping to provide readers with a blissful escape and a happy ending. Jennifer's books feature smart, savvy, accomplished heroines and heroes you love to love. How interesting about working at the Boston Herald—that would have been. Yeah,
2: I was—I was a like a hard newspaper woman for a little while Oh my time.
1: gosh, is <laughs> it as frantic it in the room as it, they make it out on television when people work at newspapers? It
2: yeah, it kind of, <laughs> it kind of is like that. I mean, it's very. Well, it's funny because I loved, I loved the Herald. I love it. And the old building that we were in is gone now actually. Um, uh, but, (laughs) but people sometimes like my dad would come to visit me in the newsroom, like he would come to town and I'd like just introduce him to everyone or my friend would come and, and in a way it was cool because you could really see like newspapering was going on and it did kind of look <laughs> like on TV, but what you couldn't really see on TV was how like messy everything was. Like right. it was not like romantic looking. It was just like massive piles of newspapers on the floor and a corner <laughs> like falling over and you know, just <laughs> cigarette stains everywhere from when you used to be allowed to smoke indoors. <laughs> like it was it was um, I mean, it was fun, you know. And when I when I left the paper. I was sad a little bit because I feel like I've never really worked in that kind of in- intense and really fun kind of atmosphere since. You know, a newsroom is very uh, different than working in a in an office. <laughs> so, uh,
1: I love you know, that you made I'm... newspapering the verb for that. That newspapering was happening.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, I feel like that should be a verb.
2: I think we used it as a verb a lot of the time. You know. Um, but yeah, it was it was a great place to work. I worked with such smart people, sharp people. You know, it really I wasn't a reporter, you know, so I wasn't really out in the field observing humans that way. I was instead, you know, in you know, the 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 back corners of the newsroom, you know, reading and writing headlines and editing things mm-hmm. and putting pages together. But I still think just being in the newsroom gave me a really good opportunity to observe human nature, because mm-hmm. it's a very interesting and fun mix of people. Sometimes I really miss it, but I think I think now I just couldn't, I, I couldn't handle the stress. I was in my 20s and early 30s when I worked at the paper, and, you know, I worked a night shift, and I feel like, you know, I could handle the craziness every day, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't think I'd handle it very
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so but i'm glad i i'm glad i did it i'm glad it's in my
0: life i feel that leads kind of into our first question quite well so you know i was looking up you on the internet as i like to do with our interviewees and kind of it's really nice coming across the websites and being like oh that's really interesting like <laughs> um but so i noted that you had said um on your website that you needed a way to to decompress as we mentioned in the intro as well and so that was that your first sort of lead into writing or did you try to write before that or?
2: Um, You know, it's funny. I feel like I hear a lot of interviews with writers and they're all like, Oh, I've been writing since I was a child. And I'm like, I haven't really, I mean, that's not totally true. I mean, you know, for school projects, I enjoyed putting little, you know, stories together. And, you know, sometimes when I was a kid, I like created picture books and, you know, presented them to my parents. But I mean, (laughs) I think, I think the writing I was really interested in doing was journalism. And before I worked at the Herald, I worked at a couple of smaller papers and, you know, I was a reporter for a short stint, but I really did feel like I liked it, when it came to news that I liked the editing part of it a little better. I liked like, so when, I'm, when I am writing a novel, I like the editing part a little better. <laughs> like I like having something done that I can polish up And I like that much better than creating something out of nothing, which seems like some sort of alchemy that I still don't understand properly, you know? So the first drafting is very hard. Uh, The later uh, draftings are a little bit more fun for me and definitely easier, but... Yeah, I really didn't, I didn't really think too much. And I've read, I've read romance since I was like 11, you know, and even more so when I was working in journalism, because I felt like, you know, I was reading tough stuff all the time, like you said, in my intro, and I, I really wanted that escapism when I came home, you know, I wanted a story that was not going to disappoint me, (laughs) you know, a story that like, you could have, you know, romance is interesting because you can have anxiety while you're reading because you're like, oh, how are they going to get out of this? But it's a safe space to feel anxiety because, you know, it's going to be work out in the end. Like it's yeah. not you don't have like a real the stress is there, but it's a safe stress. It's a controlled stress, you know, and. That's what I enjoyed. You know, the newspaper was anything could happen. You know, I mean, I was there for 9-11. I was there for, you know, the night that Princess Diana died. Like I was there when these terrible things happened and they happened out of nowhere. But, you know, when you're writing, when you're and uh, rather when you're reading, when you're reading a romance novel, you know that it's going to be OK, you know, and so you're willing to kind of give into that sort of, yeah. Uh, Storytelling and that anxiety while you're reading because you know it's going to be okay. It's it's a safe space. I just started babbling. I don't even remember your original yeah. question, but that was really. I I think something kind of led me to thinking about writing romance, and then when I went to a um bookstore and I say this story and it doesn't feel true, but it is true, is that I was kind of strolling around the bookstore. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to read. I was in the reference section. I mean, maybe I was. Looking for dictionaries for work. I don't know what I was doing, and a book fell off the shelf, and it was literally at my feet, and it was literally "How to Write Romance Fiction," and I thought to (laughs) myself, "That's funny. I bet I could do that, though." Um, And so it was just a little book, and I bought the book, and then I worked for about a year reading books, writing down everything I read, writing the publisher down who bought what. You know, I read probably two hundred books before I started you know, with the idea of writing one before I really started writing one. So, yeah. And I did all of that while I was at the paper, you know, I mean, I work nights, so I would write in the afternoon, basically, uh, and have it done before I got to work, which was nice.
1: I love the amount of planning that went into deciding to write and work on it, like reading all the books, like getting yourself all prepared.
2: Yeah, it's, (laughs) I think, I think a lot of people, you know, they write and then they, realize they like writing. And then, you know, eventually they think, oh, maybe I'll share this, you know, and I I don't claim to know how most people work. I feel like that's how a normal person would work. (laughs) But but mine was always, if I'm going to do this, I want to, I want to sell it. And I want people to read it. Like if I'm going to (laughs) bother writing a story, I'm going to make sure that I know what I'm doing right from the beginning. And of course I still did. And I mean, I had to learn a lot of things along the way, but you know, I joined Romance Writers of America right away. And I was like, that's it. I'm gathering information. And then, you know, it was about, yeah, a couple of years before I was brave enough to be like chapter one. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I feel like that makes sense. So especially like I think if you go into it with a bit more understanding, like even though you're in news in a newsroom, which is a hundred percent different from writing a novel, it still gives you like a little bit more understanding per- perhaps of the industry and of knowing, you know, like how to set yourself up well. And so I think that is definitely a wise thing to do. If you're listening right now, then that's not a bad way to to start is doing your research <laughs> before you dive in. Because a lot of people don't, as you say.
2: I agree. I mean, well, I I think some people don't. I think some people probably, they're probably, you know, and they're probably a lot more confident than I was. And that's probably part of it. You know, I wasn't somebody that had been writing books in college, and something. I would
0: agree, although I would say that, like a lot of like, because we've heard it from a, like a, a lot of different authors and ourselves included. You end up with a book that ends up sitting in a drawer for a while, if and then being either rewritten or cast aside. that's yeah. <laughs> your first novel if you haven't put enough thought into it. So, if you want to be successful from the start, I think that's the way I, to I think go.
2: The newsroom served me well too because I was in a I was in an environment where everything was on deadline. You know, we had to have all the copy in by like whatever time it was, 9.30. And everything had to be done. Like pages had to be sent to be, you know, photographed and put together as a newspaper. And so, you know, the writers didn't have all night. And so even though I wasn't a writer, I was, we didn't have cubicles. We worked at big tables. So I was privy to everything that was going on around me. And I would hear editors basically like say to reporters, this isn't good, fix it and fix it now. And, you know, nobody got like hurt. Feelings over it. I mean, I don't think they did, or they didn't show it. So I feel like I sort of learned how to take criticism very easily. Like, mm-hmm. you know, to the point where if someone is like, I don't know what you're trying to say here, but you need to fix it. I'm like, Roger that. Like, <laughs> I don't even. I don't really get sad about it or upset or really think, oh, they don't get what I was trying to do. Like, fine, I'll just fix it. You know. Um, so I think that that serves me well in terms of working with editors. You know that. You know, and I also freelance edit as well, so I have to remember that a lot of people don't have that cold indifference to criticism that I do. And I have to be a lot nicer, you know, in in terms of how I present edits, you know, to people. And you know, it's not that I don't want to be nice; it's just sometimes I'm accustomed to being blunt. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. I had to kind of learn how to, how to present edits to writers. So they didn't, you know, feel discouraged.
0: Compliment sandwich. (laughs) Compliment sandwich.
2: Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and and I am being, I am being um, genuine about it because I wouldn't take on somebody's um, project if I didn't think it was really good anyway, because I'm a freelancer and I can I can do that. I can just decide yeah. what I want to take on. And so when I read somebody's stuff, I genuinely want to help make this as good as it can be. So yeah, that's usually where all my comments are coming from. But anyway, the newsroom helped, you know, <laughs> yes. is what I'm trying to say.
1: Um, so I was wondering after you know all of your reading of books and getting prepared to write and combined with your experience in the newsroom, what did your writing process end up being like?
2: Yeah, it's, it was weird. My writing process has changed with every book, basically. And I think part of it is the stunning realization with every book that I still don't know what I'm doing. And part (laughs) of it is that every book I'm writing is different. And I'm like at a different stage in my life. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: But back then, you know, I was working a shift that was kind of like 5pm to 1am. And some nights it was 7pm to 3am. So it was kind of like a second shift. It wasn't an overnight. So What I was usually doing was sleeping until like 10 or 11 o'clock and then getting up. And then I would write, ideally, ideally, I would write until one o'clock because that's when Days of Our Lives came on. And then I would watch that (laughs) and then I would get ready for it. But when I sold my second book to Harlequin, I was under contract. So which meant I had a a deadline I had to meet. And again, another good thing newsrooms taught me never missed a deadline. Um, I kind of changed my process to a thousand words a day because that is a manageable number for me. And some days I get that done in an hour and some days I get that done in 45 minutes. And some days I get that done in six and a half hours because I'm struggling. But as long as the thousand words are out, I'm good. Often, and I still often do this, is I end in the middle of a sentence. Okay. And I walk away. This was not my idea. Uh, Some famous author did it. I don't remember who. And I read about it and I was like, great idea. Because mid-sentence, you come back and you have something to immediately write in your next session. What I really can't stand is when those few times where I happen to end my writing session at the end of a scene or at the end of a chapter, that's really hard for me. Cause then I know the next day I have to start from like square one and I really do struggle with that. So I try to finish at the end of a scene in the middle of an argument uh, and most ideally in the middle of a sentence. I don't even care that I'm going to forget what I was going to say with that sentence. I don't care. Because the next day I'll, I'll figure something out. It'll be fine. You know, someone mm-hmm. will have a sentence half out of their mouth and I'll know how to finish it. But that's the best process for me. I have found that a thousand words a day, five days a week is very manageable and mostly what I can stick to. So I do try to do that. But, you know, whether it's in the afternoon, morning, evening now is I can write any time of day. So it's just whatever's going on in my life yeah and doing five days a week gives me that cushion too where you know if something is really going on that day I could just be like well whatever this will just be one of my days off this week and yeah. I'll get to it tomorrow so
1: I love the idea of finishing halfway through a sentence I'm gonna try it and see if it works for me because I have the same issue of trying to like start at like the new scene or like the new paragraph I'm like oh, okay now what <laughs>
0: <laughs> I feel like I have kind of tried it before it hasn't really worked that well for me because I still like sit there with that particular sentence like I don't know how to do the sentence however I have recently started like ending on like a cliffhanger kind of thing yeah and that kind of works quite well because you're like what happens next and you get kind of enthusiastic about it so similar I think it does help
2: I definitely have gotten frustrated at the like if I'm really struggling in a scene And if I've had to end early or really, it was just, I was going off the rails and I have, I confess to you and all your listeners that definitely more than once I have written and then a truck hit them and they died. The end. (laughs) That's it. End of story. It's over. It's over. And I walk away. And usually after about 24 to 48 hours, I feel bad. (laughs) and I I come back and fix it. But, you know, sometimes, you know, it's almost like I give myself permission to just quit And then they never really want to quit, you know, so it's fine.
0: (laughs) I've actually heard that in in like a writing book that I read and I don't really remember exactly which one it was, but they're like, you know, like just keep writing and just even write something absurd like that just doesn't even make sense. Like something like a balloon came out of the sky and gently fell on your character. I don't know, something like really weird. And then, you know, at least you're continuing and just sparking ideas. <laughs> no matter how crazy they might be, <laughs>
2: exactly, exactly. And you know what? Maybe, maybe you're on a, a rewrite, and you find out that that balloon was like a metaphor for something else that you can put there. Like you just don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, you might as well just write whatever comes to mind. It's fine.
0: Yeah. So I was wondering about your publishing journey. So you mentioned that you have published through Harlequin. So are they still your main publishers? And what has your journey been like with them?
2: Um, I have, I have a a very circuitous route, um, when it comes to publishing, uh, and it's sort of a weird thing, but this is a good story that I I can tell to your readers because I want you to know that you can be a comeback kid. So here it goes. (laughs) So when I started writing, I was about 24. And like I said, I was working at the paper and I wrote this romance that took me a year to write and it took me three years to sell it. And back in the day, and the day is like the early 90s, you know, you printed out all 400 pages of your manuscript and you put them, you brought them in the post office and you put them in the mail to somebody. And then you had to wait eight months for a letter coming back saying, sorry, but no. And back then, Publishers and agents did not, most of them, did not take simultaneous submissions. So if you sent to one publisher, you were waiting until they answered you before you could send it to another publisher. So things were very different then, which is probably why it took a while to sell that first book. So I sold the first book to a publisher that was a very, very small press and they really struggled and they were a flash in the pan. So they were here and, and gone very quickly, which was discouraging, but whatever. Meanwhile, I had I'd written a second book. I had sent it to Harlequin and a uh I don't know what they got Assist- assistant agent a young woman she kind of plucked it out of the pile there and made me an offer and I was stunned she left the house before we could really we really had time to work together and I worked with another editor on the next four books that I wrote for harlequin and she was she is absolutely lovely was just a really nice person after a while I felt like I was, I proposed a couple of things to special, um, it was Harlequin special edition. At the time it was silhouette special edition. Silhouette was under Harlequin. Now it's just Harlequin special edition. Anyway, I sent them after four books, I sent them a couple of proposals and they didn't really pan out very well. And I thought, all right, well, there's this kind of weird book I want to write. That's not a romance. It's just been kicking around in my head a little bit. So maybe now's a good time to write it. Just, you know, clear my head. And so I wrote this book called Tooth and Nail, and it's about a woman, a boxer in uh, Washington, D.C., and she finds out that she's the next in a long line of warriors for tooth fairies. And um, so I got an agent for that book, and I ended up selling it to a small house, again, that ended up folding And the book came out. It was like it's a beautiful cover. I saw it at Barnes and Noble. I was very excited about it. But the publishing house, you know, we had a little bit of a a struggle, and they ended up selling the book along with a lot of its uh, backlist to Skyhorse, which is an imprint of Simon and Schuster. So you can still technically get the book, but I felt like it was a real struggle for me at that Mm -hmm. point. And I thought, you know, this, what am I doing? (laughs) Because, you know, I really want to write, but, you know, you don't have a lot of control over the publishing industry and who likes your stuff and who buys your stuff. And how was I supposed to know that the publisher was going to go out of business? Like, it was just not, you know, it was very discouraging. And so I said, that's it. And I retired from writing. Uh, I retired in like 2013. And then in the interim, I ended up owning and uh, operating a yoga studio for about 10 years. I met my boyfriend, my, you know, my, my, my now uh, boyfriend five years ago or six years ago, and he was a writer and he wrote all the time. And I saw him writing and he loves to write <laughs> and he is a, a man who doesn't get writer's block. I've never seen anything like it. He says, I'm going to write today. And he sits and writes all day. Like, have you heard of such a thing?
0: Um, and
2: He just writes. He likes it. He does it. He doesn't complain about it ever. (laughs) Uh, He's just into it. And I think watching him do it, I just saw this, like it just so strongly came back to me that I missed it so much. So I sold the yoga studio and (laughs) I started writing again. Uh and that was in 2018 or 19. And Uh, So I wrote another romance, Against All Obstacles, that was um, published in October 2023. So I've made a bit of a comeback, and I have another book coming out in 2025 that I just signed the contract for a couple weeks ago. So anyway, that's like, I know that a lot of writers say, oh, I'm coming back to writing after a while, but this was legitimately like almost 10 years. (laughs) um, (laughs) You know, maybe even... Yeah, about 10 years or maybe even more because my book, my tooth and nail came out in 2012 and I hadn't really written anything else while I, you know, was waiting for that to come out. So yeah, it was probably a good solid 10 years before I started writing again. And when I sat down, I really thought to myself, I don't remember how to do this. <laughs> I don't remember how to do this. So, so I had, a I had a decade long writer's block. <laughs> But I came back, but I came back. So it's okay. But yeah, so my publishing journey is a little weird. It's very roundabout. And I am, you know, back back to writing romance. So hopefully.
0: I feel like that's one of the great things about writing though. You know, you can set it down for a while and then come back to it. And it's not like, you know, one of like, I mean, sure you might feel a bit rusty, but you can kind of like get back there fairly quickly if you have sort of written in the past where I feel like, And you can even come back to it even better than what you previously were, too, because life experience counts, you know?
2: Um. It does. And you know what? I had no no stress around it this time because I don't have an editor waiting for anything. I don't have an agent anymore. Like, I don't have anything because I walked away. So it really was just me and, you know, telling a story.
0: Yeah. You know, and
2: it worked out. So it's so
0: so nice to have that, like, pressure off and to be able to breathe a bit and do something that's fun and enjoyable that you like. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you've mentioned your new book against all obstacles. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about it.
2: Yeah. I'm excited about this book. It's a little bit unusual. I know sports romances are very popular, um, but I didn't feel like I was seeing enough romances where the enough hetero romances where the hero and heroine um, where the heroine was an athlete and sometimes I saw it, but I wanted the hero and heroine to be directly competing against one another. Now, there aren't a lot of sports like this, by the way, not a lot of physical sports, equestrian sports. Men and women will compete against each other, but there's mm-hmm. not a lot out there. And I had taken up running for a short, crazy period of my life. I don't I I don't run anymore. I can't deal with it. (laughs) I do like walking a lot now. But there was a short period of time where in my 40s, I was doing some obstacle course races, short ones like 5K or a little longer than that, where you were running, but you were also like climbing six foot walls and jumping over stuff and, you know, jumping in puddles and flipping tires and doing stuff. And I don't know, in my 40s, I thought that's fun. So, I tried doing it and it was, it was really fun and exciting, but you know, what I was seeing was a lot of people who are older around my age and older than me, just getting out and doing this. And I thought that this was really commendable. And the other thing that I don't see enough of romance enough in romance, and there is more out there now, admittedly, but I need to see more of it is quote unquote seasoned heroes and heroines. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. The industry considers seasoned characters to be 35, (laughs) which I find outrageous. Like when I was 38, I was a child. Okay. Like I don't even, I can't, you know, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, most romance novels you read like they're in their late twenties, early, early to mid thirties. So this does make sense. Um, But I have seen some really good romances out there. Um, The thing is I wanted to write a romance where for the characters who are a little older, that the fact that they were older was not part of the story itself. Yeah. You know, it, it, it wasn't what was contributing to the conflict overall, you know, it just happened to be that they were older. So against all obstacles is about a, um, a guy named Evan Hughes. He's a 38 year old retired, um, English footballer. And heroine, Rachel Bowen. She is a 45-year-old math and science high school teacher. And they both enter this weekend-long obstacle course race called the Golden Crucible. And the Golden Crucible is a race where it's a little bit secretive. It's considered to be a little bit like dangerous and stupid to participate in. It's a little bit crazy. You know, serious obstacle course racers don't really enter it because, you know, it doesn't have the greatest reputation of, you know, it just hasn't been around really long enough. And it's, it's strange that the guy that runs the whole thing just keeps everything a secret. And it's a weekend long race. So it's a, a real endurance event. And men and women compete you know, directly against one another. And they both decide to enter this race. And the reason he enters this race is because he had to leave England in kind of disgrace because he was dating a uh, member of the royal family and it went south and the press blamed him for it. So he just (laughs) fled to the United States for a while. And um, he wants to make a comeback, you know, maybe in broadcasting or something else. And he thought, you know, I'm retired from Premier League now. So I may as well just try to do something else kind of, you know, fun, interesting, kind of get me, myself into the news, you know, when something big, and I can kind of get myself back into the public eye again. And the reason Rachel is running it, well, she's a She's a more serious obstacle course race competitor who's podiumed on, you know, in several big events. Uh, But the reason she's doing the race is because it is a bit of a wacky race, but it has a a good prize money win. And she works in a school that doesn't have a lot of funding. And they have a maker lab in the school, but they're not able to put the equipment they need into it for these kids to use. So she wants to win this race, to. Win the money and donate it to the school so she can give it to these kids so they can get ahead. So they both have a really strong reason for needing to win this race. uh, And it's not a convenient time for them to fall in love. (laughs) (laughs) So it's tough. I had a few challenges. I had to have them fall in love over a weekend, which Mm -hmm. is hard. Mm -hmm. I had to really have them pushing their bodies to the limit, which I thought was important to show, um, you know, quote unquote, older people doing that. Yeah. And I had fun with it because I didn't want to make it like any OCR, you know, event that happens now. Like I wanted to have really just events that I made up. So I made (laughs) up all kinds of crazy events for this, like a... Like a, a, you know, a swim in a completely like blacked out tunnel and just a bunch of other things. So that was, that was enjoyable for me is coming up with the events. And uh, I did not know who was going to win the race until I was about three quarters of the way through the book. And then I figured it out because <laughs> <laughs> I had reasons for, you know, different both. different yeah. ones to win. So yeah. I needed, I needed it to be the character that would teach my two main characters their biggest lessons that they needed to yeah. learn. So yeah,
0: it um, makes sense.
2: I loved it, you know, I mean, and I'm not a serious OCR competitor by any means. I was just a weekend schmo <laughs> that did it. So I did send it out to a few women that I met in a um, OCR group on, on Facebook who are more serious competitors than I am. So I could just make sure that I was doing things uh, well, even though it was kind of a made up race. Um mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so that's the story and I'm excited about it
1: it does sound really fun to write yeah it was
2: really fun I can okay. see
1: the I can see the enjoyment in that yes yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah well because every I had to you know they're dealing with their internal conflicts along the way so I really and you know in terms of external conflict it's really they're just out in the woods by themselves like <laughs> And one of them has to win. So I had to really strategically use a lot of the obstacles to kind of make them think about and get over things that they internally needed to think about and get over. So there was a method behind my madness, but it was pretty fun. (laughs) sounds really fun. Yeah.
0: I really like the idea of um, just making up some random obstacles and then watching your characters struggle through them. (laughs) <laughs> maybe I'm really mean about that but I, no, I feel like there thing. would be a lot of enjoyment there like you know
2: it was a good time and uh, I don't want to give anything away but one of the things and you know the a guy that runs the race I kind of made him like a bit of a sort of crazy diabolical genius in a way like he didn't just like there was a lot of physical tests like the number of burpees I had to do at some point is, was just phenomenal, but he also threw a lot of unpredictable things in there. And one of the things he threw in was a puzzle box and the puzzle box had their lunch in it and <laughs> they, they had just come off like so much work and they were you know really hungry, <laughs> but they couldn't eat unless they could open the box. So yeah, things like that. It was fun. <laughs>
0: It sounds great. It sounds like a very enjoyable read. I hope so.
1: <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about, you know, your brief hiatus in writing um, and then your return. Um, yeah. Have you had any other large challenges that you've had to face so far?
2: I don't think any more than anyone else. Well, no, I can tell you this. And this is because of my hiatus is when I came back to writing, it was a very different world. Um, self-publishing was not a thing when I was first writing, or it was a thing, but people didn't want to do it. You know, it had a bad reputation. It had, you know, whatever. And I've still been fortunate enough to do what I wanted, which is, you know, my first love has been traditional publishing, but self-publishing is never off the table for me. I am very, I mean, part of the reason why I haven't self-published anything so far is I'm, I'm really intimidated by it. I feel like there's a very big learning curve and, I fully admire authors who could do this and very much support them. I, I try to buy a lot of um, self-published books and tell people about them. But that world was is very different. And even just the submission process, like I said earlier, is different. Because it used to be you just sent it off and then you sat and you bit your nails and you looked out the window. But now you can send it to... 20 agents at a time. You can send it to 10 publishing houses at a time. And if someone makes you an offer, you can go back to the other ones and said, "Hey, I had an offer." You know, back in the day, if you did that, you were blackballed. Like no one even wanted <laughs> to deal with you. You were just somebody who were, was trying to kind of cheat the system
0: by Jumping the line.
2: <laughs> yeah. You were sending out to a few at once. And, you know, if um you know, an agent or a publishing house thought that they wasted their time on you only to find that you were going to someone else, like that was a different game then. So that's different. And also, you know, I can if I see an opportunity that interests me. I can email my manuscript and send off a query in 10 minutes. You know, before I had to print out my whole manuscript, you know, make sure all the pages were numbered properly, shuck it over to the (laughs) post office, you know, make sure the address is right, you know, pay ridiculous amounts of postage because the book weighs, you know, (laughs) a bunch of pounds and send it off and then just hope they got it. (laughs) Uh, it really, it it is different and different in s- so many great ways, you know? I mean, I love the way it's done now. And I love that if you just don't want to deal with traditional publishing for whatever reasons, and all those reasons are valid, that you want to publish, you know, faster, you want to have more control over things, you want to get a different kind of pay rate, you can just do it on your own and people will read it and people will love it. It's amazing to me. Um, but it I just felt like, if it almost felt like I was Rip Van Winkle, I went to sleep for 10 years. And when I came back, I was like, what's happening? (laughs) What is happening? I don't understand. Wait, you can just publish something? Like, yeah, it was. (laughs) So I think this, the challenge with that was having to kind of, because, you know, back when I started writing, I was in RWA because Romance Writers of America was you know, um, more of a thing back then, and that's where I got a lot of my information. That's where I met a lot of people, and that's where I learned the industry, which I think is really important to the publishing process. You really have to know the industry if you want, you know, to sell your book. And when um, when I came back, I could still apparently I could still write a book, uh, but the industry was really different, and I had to re-educate myself as if I'd never written a book before just start at square one you know who's doing what how do you do what what do you say to agents that like what's going on so yeah I think that's the education and getting myself back into the swing of uh the do's and don'ts and where you could break those do's and don'ts <laughs> yeah um, yeah
0: that's changed a lot I feel because I feel yeah. like along with it becoming like more on email and stuff for agents and stuff like that and for publishing houses like where before you could write maybe like a a bit of a longer kind of intro to who you are you know why they should be interested in your book like now it's very much like don't distract them with all this extra stuff like this is what they want give them what they want like now so that they can like read this very short paragraph and be like i want that book yes
2: exactly (laughs) that's exactly it yeah Um, And that was, you know, it was harder. I mean, it has no, it doesn't have a real bearing on the exact process of writing, but you know, when I'm writing, I am thinking about where I'm going to send it and what I'm going to do with it. And, you know, my way of thinking is different now. Um, Mm -hmm. So
1: yeah.
2: yeah. Also, by the way, um, just not so much talking about challenges, but just talking about things that are different back in the olden days, when I was taking a covered wagon to school. Um, the the agents and the editors were talking back then about, you know what, they didn't wanna see any of sports books, none. They said sports books don't, ro- sports romances don't sell. We don't want them. You know what else they didn't want? Rock stars. And it is hilarious <laughs> to me now because every book you see, every romance you see on a shelf, is somebody's playing a sport and somebody's on a stage singing a song and I think this is great but it just shows you how trends come and go you know Mm -hmm. it's a story in your heart and people don't want it now they'll want it in five years probably
0: (laughs) yeah and I get bored with the current trend they're like hey yeah why don't we hear about this and you're like yes I've already got a book about that here it (laughs) is It's true. It's been gathering yeah, right. dust it, in my closet. Yes, somebody's
2: <laughs> like, I would really like a book about whatever, and you're like, Well, yes, it's it's. I have five of those under my bed. Let me send them to you. Funny, you um, should say
0: that. <laughs> yeah,
2: but this is good because I feel like, yeah, we do write to market, but at the same time, there is room for the book that you really want to write. I mean, you know, um, well, there's always room for it in self-publishing. But if you're waiting for traditional publishing, it usually comes around again eventually. So, yeah yeah don't don't despair
0: yeah and I think yeah there definitely has been like trends do change in terms of all types of genres about the stuff that's wanted now versus back then oh, yeah.
2: yeah yeah and you know what I didn't see any books back then with seasoned heroes and heroines over 35 I mean oh, of course I was, I was 28 yeah. so I probably wasn't looking for them, but <laughs> you know, um, I didn't see, I didn't see it starting to pick up steam the way it is now and the way I hope it continues to do. So,
0: yeah. I mean, that's a very good point. I think people also assume that, you know, perhaps having a younger character is easier because they've got more lessons to learn, but that's not necessarily true. No,
2: no, please. Like if I, <laughs> if I had any of my stuff together, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't even be writing. I would just be like, I'm just going to go enjoy my perfect life. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, it is, things are very different now, I think than previous generations, even just in terms of lifestyle, you know, I'm generation X and, you know, I find that a lot of people my age are now changing careers. Several, and I did several times, you know, back in like my dad's era, my parents' era, you know, I told my dad when I was leaving the paper, he was stunned because my dad worked 42 years for the same company because mm-hmm. that's what yeah. you used to do right you found yeah. the company that would you know appreciate you for a number you know of years until retirement you found that young you worked all the way there you worked your way up the ladder and then you left with a pension you yeah. know and i think same thing with like marriages right i mean people You know, they get divorced, people break up, people, you know, are living longer and um, unfortunately maybe see their spouse deceased and, you know, want to see if they can move forward with a new relationship. Like there's, there's just so much going on later in life that, you know, like, I I mean, it would be nice to think you get your happily ever after at 25, like (laughs) you, you found the person, you got it all figured out, but you don't.
0: (laughs) No, (laughs) it's definitely not the reality now for sure.
2: No. And I mean, I found the love of my life at 47. So that's just how it happens sometimes.
0: (laughs) For sure. So you had mentioned that you have signed a new book contract for 2025.
2: I'm so excited about this because it relates to what we were talking about. Okay. So, um, (laughs) so I wrote a book and it's called after happily ever, And it's about it's a it's kind of a it's a women's fiction book, but it's set in a fairy tale world and with more, you know, with different names, of course, it's uh, three grim princesses, grim fairy tale princesses on the cusp of turning 50. And, you know, they are all facing some serious challenges. Uh, The king has just died. Uh, so, well, the, the princesses are sisters-in-law because they've each married a charming prince uh, who are brothers. So the princesses are sister sisters-in-law. And when the king dies, it kind of throws everything into motion because one of the princesses' husband becomes king. So she becomes a queen, which was not what she ever really wanted. Um, she has a lot of fears. The second princess is finding that her husband's infidelities are getting a little bit too much. And also she is getting older and she's losing her looks, which is what she's really capitalized on all these years. Uh, So she needs to find some purpose elsewhere. Also, she married the second charming prince, so she'll probably never be queen herself. And the third princess discovers that there's a lot of social inequities happening for women in the kingdom, things that princesses don't usually have to think about. And she wants to raise her voice and fight for them, but it would mean uh, speaking out against her own family. And she's somebody who's always been a people pleaser. So it's very difficult to her. And, you know, when when you read grim fairy tales, you usually read about old crones or young virgin girls. Like you don't read about women in their in mid-age which is what I wanted to write about and I wanted to show that you know the happily ever after that these princesses got was not the end and they were very unsatisfied with a lot of things that were happening and they had a lot of childhood trauma I mean somebody's stepmother killed her with an apple like that's that's something (laughs) we we would go to therapy for now for a long time (laughs) yeah so you know it really It doesn't, it's not solved when she got married at 18 or whatever. Like it's, these are still things that she kind of needs to face face. And, you know, the fear of being assassinated again is her particular fear. So yeah, I wanted to give these princesses something to really overcome and create new lives for themselves and to make things better in this kingdom, which seems outwardly to everyone to be this perfect place but it isn't really and that's what they've come to find out so i sold this novel to um, a fairly new press called a press and they publish um, about 10 to 12 books a year uh, they have two seasons where they publish authors and all of the authors are women over 50
0: so oh, that's really cool
2: yeah and the folks that run this uh, company are amazing. I've talked to them a few times. I've met a few of the other authors who whose books will also be coming out in spring 2025. It's such a, it's such a great experience. So yeah, I'm really excited to get this book out into the world. So I love the premise just talking you. about it.
1: I'm like, it sounds, it's just <laughs> such a different twist on things, which is really cool.
2: Yeah, you know, and I've read some wonderful books about fairy tales and like what came after, but I really wanted to explore what came after, after, like 35 years <clears> after. <throat> yeah, um, I,
0: I really like the name as well.
2: Oh, After Happily Ever.
0: Like when I heard it, I was like, oh, that makes like so much sense and it it <laughs> works so well. With yeah, I wasn't thriller. sure about it.
2: I had, I really struggled titling the book and um, I was actually sure that whatever publisher bought it was going to change it, the title, and they were just like, no. And, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think I think they're keeping it. But yeah, I'm I'm very excited about that one. It's a because it's not a romance. It's a women's fiction. I wrote it in three points of view, and it was it was uh it, that that was a challenge for me because it was I haven't written a book like that quite like that at all. The one book I published that was not a romance, Tooth and Nail, was first person. From the one character, so writing three points of view from three different characters was, yeah, it was. uh, I mean, yeah, challenging. (laughs) It was challenging and different for me, you know, because they had to. They're both. They're all three of them were royalty in the same kingdom, so in a way, they had to have some of the same sensibilities in the same way they phrase things, but they had very different personalities. So it was, um, it was fun to do and challenging and I had a couple of bad guys and a couple of fun like there's definitely like animals that I like like there's a squirrel that runs in apocrypha. and there's um apothecary I think Um, you did it right (laughs) yeah and uh there's a cat that can um hypnotize you to sleep so I have some animal characters that I enjoy so that
0: sounds super fun fun. um so we're just running short on time here. Is there anything else that you'd like to mention that we haven't covered?
2: I think so, because I think I was going to mention something about season characters, and I did. And I think I was going to mention something about not giving up if you take a break for 10 years. Um,
1: And I did. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, no, I think I'm, I think I'm good. Okay, so... Where can people find your books and how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to reach out or learn any more about you?
2: So against all obstacles, you can find, uh, in ebook and paperback on wherever you would buy that stuff, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, you know, Kobo, Apple, and, uh, I am at com. J-E-N-S-A-1-F-S-A-F-R-E-Y com, and yeah, that's it. it, it Jen Saffrey or Jennifer Saffrey will actually take you to the same website because I use Jen Saffrey for my Harlequin books, because and I use Jennifer Saffrey for my other books. Why you ask? I don't know. I think I thought the shorter. I mean, everyone calls me Jen, but I think the shorter name I thought would be bigger font. <laughs> so that's why I did it. Um, so I have books under, it, but I am. Safri is a very unusual name and I'm the only Jennifer Safri in the world. And if you meet anyone with the last name Safri, they are directly related to me. So (laughs) I'm pretty like there's no confusion online looking for me. (laughs) Um, And if you want to email me for any reason,
1: uh, Jen at JenSafri.com. Perfect. Um, So thank you so much for coming on the show today.
2: Thank you so much. This was great. I really appreciate
0: it.
1: I feel like we learned a lot about, um, I guess, the different paths you can take to get into into writing and that it's okay to take a break and come back. So thank you for sharing um, everything about your journey with us. Oh,
2: you're so, so very welcome. What is it? is it? Is it a Buddhist saying? Like many paths to the same truth, right? I mean, you can... Mm-hmm. However, you want to get your story out there, but get your story out there. Really, if you're writing something and you're thinking to yourself, oh, I don't know if I want to get it out there. We need your voice because it's not like wh- whatever you're saying is something that only you can say. So you have to say it. So please. And plus, I love books and I want to read your book. So write a book. I <laughs> So I, no I can read. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I love that. The sentiment, you know, everyone has their own voice. And I, I 100% wholeheartedly agree with that. But, so thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much. Um, so if you would like to be on an author spotlight section like Jen just has, um, you can head on over to our website, lindersoncreations.com and hover your mouse over the podcast tab and you'll find a drop down link to apply.
0: And so next time on Dear Writer, we have another one of our craft episodes. So look out for that.
1: And if you'd like to know any more about us or any of our writing projects, you can visit us at lindersoncreations.com or get in touch with us on Facebook or Instagram under the handle Linderson Creations.
0: And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on your podcatcher of choice, and we'll be back next week. Happy writing, everyone.